Welcome to URI's podcast series, a podcast proposed by the Armament Industry European Research Group. Welcome to the first episode of the new ARES podcast series, a new format to encourage fresh strategic thinking in the field of European defense industrial policies. In the first episodes, we will discuss the post-Ukraine defense budget increases in several European countries, trying to answer one major question. Will these increases in defense budget lead to more cohesion or to more fragmentation of the European defense industry? To kick off this series, we have the pleasure to welcome today Dick Zandi, Senior Research Fellow, Head of the Security Unit of the Klingendale Institute and Scientific Advisor of ARIS to discuss the case of Netherlands. Thank you very much, Dick, for being here today and for accepting our invitation. My pleasure. So to get straight to the point, let me start with the first question. What is the impact of the Ukrainian war on Netherlands' defense budget? Will it in evolve in quantitative and structural terms in the next years? Indeed, it does. Um, but let's go back to the start of the current government, which took office in January 2022. So roughly two months before the war broke out in uh, Ukraine. And uh, then the decision had already been made to add 2 billion euros to the defense budget, rising from roughly 11 billion to 13 billion uh, annually. After the war in Ukraine started at the end of February, uh, there was a supplementary um, budget uh, uh, cycle in, in May, and then another 3 billion was added to the budget. So we're talking a total of 5 billion extra, which will bring the Dutch defense budget from uh, about 11 uh, or sorry, from 13 to 18 uh, billion uh, euros by 2024. Of course, it goes in an upward trend. That also implies that by 2024, we will reach the 2% NATO target, which without the war in Ukraine, I don't think would have happened. So it is uh, basically Putin who has been the driving force uh, behind the quick rise of the Dutch uh, defense uh, budget. That also means, because the personnel component is in quantitative terms staying roughly the same, there will be a slight increase in personnel, but we will keep to an all-volunteer army, uh, that uh, the investment budget is going to rise from roughly just above 20%, 2021-22, to over 30% of the budget will go to investment uh, as of 2024. That means that a lot of extra money is available for extra capabilities. So if you're talking about priorities, the first priority is still, of course, to, um, to ensure that the existing stocks of ammunition and spare parts and all that sort of things that have been cut off uh, in, in the last decade are filled. And also we have the problem, of course, of deliveries to Ukraine, which has to be filled uh, once more. Uh, but there's a lot of investment going into new capabilities uh, uh, as well. Um, and this is adding a lot of uh, firepower to the armed forces. Uh, there is uh, for the Navy, uh, there will be acquisition of cruise missiles, which we have never had before, uh, both on the surface, but uh, also on the submarine fleet in the future. Uh, extra uh, fighter aircraft, F-35. So we're going to have a third squadron uh, available by the mid 2020s. And also very important for the land forces, uh, the artillery uh, components will be uh, expanded, not only uh, with the existing Panzer Howitzer 2000, the same one as the Germans have, but also we're going to buy, and actually the decision has already been taken to buy the HIMARS from the United States, which is the long-range uh, rocket uh, artillery. So enormous investment in extra fighting power. 
Thank you very much. So you talked about uh, important increases in investments and about uh, the main uh, capability priorities for the Dutch MOD in the next years. Would you say that uh, priority is given to long-term planning or rather to filling cap cap capacity gaps as quick as possible? It is, it is actually both. Uh, because the short term need is to bring the existing uh, armed forces at its uh, maximum potential, uh, in particular in combat support and in combat service support, there were enormous loopholes. Uh, so those have to be filled uh, to uh, allow the whole of the armed forces to be deployable, which currently is not possible because of shortages that exist both on the personnel side, but also on the, uh, on the side of uh, combat support and combat service support. At the same time, the medium to long term agenda has also been launched. You, you can, it's not sequential. It goes at the same time in parallel. Uh, and this is both buying uh, of the shelf, what can be bought immediately to, to serve the needs that are there. Okay, that will happen. Example is the HIMARS, which will be bought directly from the, from the United States, or extra Panzerhauitzes from the Germans uh, in the artillery uh, area, extra F 35s from the US for the fighting aircraft component. But there's also the long-term agenda with innovation, development, and that, of course, the collaboration uh, agenda with European partners comes in very strongly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, there is at the same time um, cooperative project, but also off-the-shelf procurement. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, uh -huh. And um, uh, would you say that your country consulted other European countries um, also outside the EU framework before planning these new military expenses? And uh, if so, what are the main reasons for uh, working with countries outside the EU? Is it um, interoperability? Is it uh, uh, to achieve economies of scale, for example? Um, I don't think there was a deliberate process of saying, okay, in the months X, Y, and Z, we're going to talk to all our European uh, or transatlantic partners and see what we can do together, and then we're going to make the plan. I think what was ongoing or was under development already with various partner countries was taken into account in the defense white paper when it was presented in May after this additional money was added to the budget. So to mention an example, uh, we have very close cooperation with the Belgian Navy that we are operating the same frigates, at least part of our frigates is the same as the Belgian frigates. Those are ending their end of life cycle uh, in the second half of the 2020, so they have to be replaced. A couple of years ago, the decision was already taken to acquire, to get procured both with uh, Belgium, the same new frigate. Same for the mine hunters. Uh, we have the same mine hunters as Belgium. Uh, and there again, uh, the decision was taken to procure the same new uh, uh, mine hunter class also for the second half of the 2020s. So those were taken on board in the defense white paper and other existing cooperation formats were as well. But I don't think one can say, you know, there was an extensive period that was used for exploring the maximum potential for European collaboration or even transatlantic cooperation uh, before decisions were taken. So in the end, I would say they were taken at the national level, but taking into account what was already ongoing across the border. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. And uh, if I'm right, I think that France also joined, joined now the this uh, uh, Belgian-Dutch uh, uh, frigates program, Mine Hunters. No, not the Mine Hunters, not the frigates. Yeah, the, the Mine Hunters. The Mine Hunters right. are actually constructed by Groupe Naval. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so it's very logical that France will join the program as well. So I'm very happy with that. So we have three European countries operating the same Mine Hunter uh, vessels in the future, which is great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. In case of collective procurement policies, 
what would you say um, are the preferred bodies? Is it um, is it the European Union? Is it the transatlantic framework within NATO? Or uh, uh, are the Netherlands um, more pushing for bilateral and multilateral frameworks? I would say it is the mix of everything you mentioned. There is no preferred policy in the Netherlands to uh, go for solely uh, European collaboration or solely transatlantic cooperation. So all options are are open. Uh, and this can be in the EU context. It can be sometimes in NATO context. It can be in an ad hoc, uh, smaller format. Everything is possible. And if you look at the different acquisition uh, efforts, which are collaborations, you will find examples of each and every one. If you go a little bit further down into the armed forces, it's interesting to note, of course, that our air force traditionally is very US focused. We have mm -hmm. always flown American fighter aircraft, still doing that today. We have bought the unmanned Reapers from the US as well. Interesting if we will buy the Eurodrone late 20s, 30s, uh, if that uh, will be, be on the market. Um, the only exception is actually helicopters, where we are flying both American, the Chinooks, but also European, the Cougar, for example. Um, and of course, the uh, the new class of the uh, tankers and, and transport aircraft, the MRTT, which is an Airbus 330 uh, militarized, uh, pooling together with the Germans, the Belgians and a, and a few other uh, countries. So for the Air Force, it's mainly uh, American. The army is traditionally very focused on Germany, although their armored fighting vehicle is Swedish. It's a CV-90. But of course, the tanks, artillery uh, and things like that's all German. And because of the close integration of the Dutch army with the German army, this is going to go further and further and further. So the, the main ground combat system project has huge interest in the Netherlands because we, we will be forced more or less to buy the same equipment, the same uh, material, the same armaments as the Germans will do for their army. And for the Navy, uh, it's different again because we have still uh, a ship building capacity in the Netherlands, uh, our own shipyard in the southwest of the country. So there is a certain preference, also driven by economic uh, needs and by the needs to maintain technology inside the country, how to construct uh, particularly surface fleet vessels uh, nationally. Uh, but yeah, the mine is a good example how we're trying to internationalize it. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so it's depending on capabilities and it's also depending on what the, the industry is able to do. Indeed. Um, finally, to, to conclude, um, um, there, there, there's a lot of uh, debate today about a future, uh, the future instrument uh, that was proposed by the Commission, EDIRPA, and about um, the question of should it be open or not uh, to uh, third countries. Um, do you think that EU programs on joint acquisition should allow uh, non-European equipment acquisitions? The, the Dutch attitude in general is that to the, to the extent possible. Uh, uh, we subscribe the criteria that have been defined uh, by the European Union, although probably the Dutch government would have uh, argued for a, even a bit more flexibility. But I think in the end, they are happy uh, with it. Uh, so where the UK can join uh, EU programs, and perhaps the new UK government will be more ready to that than, than the previous one, uh, that will get our support. Uh, and the latest announcement by the UK to join the military mobility program is also an interesting one, a PESCO project, uh, to which the Americans, the Canadians and the Norwegians are already participating in. Um, but it will always depend on, on, on the case. Uh, is there added value? What will they bring? Uh, is it essential? Um, and, and does it support uh, 
the strengthening of the European Defence Technological and Industrial Base, yes or no. If it's detrimental to that, of course, there will be no support. It is interesting to note that there is quite a shift uh, in Dutch politics, I would say, uh, starting roughly about seven, eight years ago, but reinforced, I think, uh, in the last two to three years, to be more European, to be more European in defence policy, to be more European in terms of deployments, to be more European in terms of uh, research technology, development and procurement. And this is an interesting trend. Um, and it and it is also, I think, part of the, the, the shift which you see in Dutch policy from to rely completely on the Americans to be more autonomous in Europe. Not autonomous in, in the sense from all alone, eh, because we are a supporter of what is called open strategic autonomy. That means you cooperate with partners outside Europe where it can and, and where you share the same agendas. And, you know, with the Americans in NATO and hopefully uh, not the return of Trump, that, that can still be the case and is, of course, uh, important, but also at the same time reinforce the European cooperation. So in the Dutch case, it's not either or, it's end end. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, it was really helpful, I think, uh, to, to better understand uh, the, the Dutch approach on all these um, issues. So thank you very much, Dick. Thank you. And uh, thank you also to our um, auditor and feel free to share this podcast and see you soon for a new episode.